Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Reproducer. Hello, I'm Jenny Nelson. And I'm Mark Jeeves. Welcome to another edition of Reproducer, a podcast that tries to answer the question of what a radio producer's job actually entails. Big emphasis on the word try there. <laughs> In this episode, we are delighted to delve into the world of sports radio, a world that, let's full disclosure, Mark and I do not know much about, nope. as we welcome the Deputy Head of Talk Sport to the podcast, Catherine Anastasi. It's taking time to know the people you're working with in order to get the best out of them on air. You need to be adaptable and agile in live sporting situations because you never know where the story is going to come from. The really good thing about the apprenticeships and the internships is that you get people in that might not have come to us in the first place. I might not have thought that they could. Now, as Jenny's mentioned there, although we've worked in radio for a while, not one single day of our radio production experience has involved sport or understanding sport. So we're extra keen to speak to Catherine as the whole process of sports radio production and especially the live aspect of it sounds utterly terrifying to us. In our chat, we talk about that. We also uh, talk about the great work that TalkSport are doing to nurture new talent, which is really extraordinary as you'll hear. And Catherine explains what she likes to see on a CV, which, let's face it, is really important if you're trying to get into that world. But we started by asking what she loves about working, not just in sports broadcasting, but also why she loves working at TalkSport specifically okay so the first part of that question is what do i love about talk sport um so it's a family it's sometimes a dysfunctional family i suppose like all families are but everyone cares about what we're doing everyone is passionate i mean you can't work here unless you're passionate about sport because you would you would you would just not enjoy it um so you're all coming from the same place and it's I think it's I don't think I can compare it to anywhere else in terms of working um, in sports radio one because I haven't <laughs> I've, I've been at TalkSport my entire career so it's been 16 years so I can't compare it from personal experience but two there isn't anywhere like TalkSport there's nowhere that does 24 hours sports coverage you know even Five Live who's probably our direct competitor they do news coverage so it's it's unique and 
why I like working in sports specifically rather than just at talk sport is because you know I did I did do current affairs for a little while um and that tends to be quite a negative uh stories that you're covering there's joy in sport like people win there are underdogs exciting things happen bad things happen as well like sports a microcosm of society that's why I find it interesting as well but yeah I just like the light and shade that you get from working in sport thank you for that and this question I know comes with the caveat of there is no such thing as a typical day but in your role as deputy head of talk sport roughly can you give us an overview of what a typical day might entail yeah there is not a typical day um, I'm new in the role. It's only been a couple of months, so we're still sort of settling into it. I mean, it starts in the same way as my day has started uh, the whole time I've been here, which is by listening <laughs> to talk sport. Um, so, you know, you wake up, you put the radio on. So that's the first that's the first thing. And that's always been the case in whatever role I've had at talk sport. And, you know, it, it's boring stuff like checking emails and checking WhatsApps and looking at Twitter and, you know, getting um, appraised of the morning's uh, layout, basically. Um, it's a lot of meetings for me now, and that's a lot of talking to people. And I find that my role in general, even as head of life sport, which I was the previous role to this one, is conversations, talking to people, making things happen. Um, and so as deputy, we're sort of finding our way through that. But um with my expertise on live sport, I'm sort of managing the new live sport editor and and their team. So leading on that, but I'm also working across diversity. Got some new apprentices that came along, so that's sort of fallen under my wing as well. And then we'll be looking ahead to the new season and what we're going to do and who you know um, what the schedule might look like. And I do a lot of HR <laughs> these days, <laughs> um, which I really enjoy. I love building teams, and that's something that I did. Um, as head of live sport as well you know it's a lot of project work to that like who's going to go out to a world cup who's going to produce our cricket who which commentators which pundits which producers which social media and like putting harmonious teams together is something i'm really enjoying and i'm passionate about and so that comes under my remit quite a lot these days too so uh yeah get up listen to the radio check my emails get a tube get in have eight meetings and go home again (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of how my day pans out these days (laughs) what i'd be fascinated to know catherine is uh is how you got into radio in the first place because you clearly have a love of sport and you say you had a current affairs background as well but what was your beginning student radio um so i went to sheffield university i was studying politics and joined the radio station there which was called sure fm just as a kind of extracurricular activity quite like the sound of my own voice um i suppose and yeah so i I presented a show there music show uh, with a friend of mine called tim for the three years that i was at sheffield and then ended up um, in my third year being head of production and so at the end of that course i kind of had a choice to make um i'd been accepted onto a master's in politics at sheffield but i'd also been accepted onto a master's in radio at goldsmiths and so i chose radio and did that master's straight away after my undergraduate degree. Uh, so I spent a year down in New Cross making radio documentaries and packages and running news days and doing media law exams. And I was going to ask about the main things you you kind of learn on a course like that at Goldsmiths and, and also what you then bring across to your everyday job. Oh, so much. The media law and the Ofcom stuff is like 
fundamental and I, I, I kind of make sure that people that are just starting out here at Talksport because not everybody goes to university to study you know some people join join us straight away is like how important that stuff is and it stood me in good stead and you you do need it it might not be every day but you know, you never know when you're going to need it either. So um, that stuff was fundamental. But radio craft really is what what I learned at um, Goldsmiths, and it was really it was really varied. We didn't do a lot of music radio, I'll be honest, but we did a lot of um, you know we did we had to write a radio drama script, a radio drama. We had to write an essay on the history of Rethian broadcasting. You know, we had to make three different documentary or, or of different lengths. We did rolling news days, so we'd spend the whole day. That was one of our exams, was spending eight hours live, as live, and everyone having a different role. We did news reading, you know, shorthand, although I never did the exam on that one, I'll be honest. So, yeah, it was really varied, and I think I took elements of all of that into my career. I mean, it was it was a foundation, definitely, to, and I think it got me my job at TalkSport, having that on my CV. In fact, I know it did. Because when I fin, and also in- sorry, it included a BJTC uh, sponsored month, at, um, some work experience, and that work experience I did at BBC Radio Manchester, and that was actually that was really formative for me because um, we did two weeks. I did two weeks on the news program, six pm news program, and I did two weeks producing breakfast. That's when I realised that I didn't want to be on air. I didn't like being a reporter. But I loved pr- production when I was on the breakfast show, working with the producers there, and so that actually gave me my like, yeah, I'm production. I'm definitely production. So that was really helpful having that month. And afterwards, that summer, I just sent my CV to every radio station. I mean, I'm talking every radio station from Aberdeen to Guernsey. Um, <laughs> you got to do it. Yeah, and Talksport rang me back. Um, this is like before. Uh, the internet well we had the internet but it wasn't quite as uh like we didn't have social media and stuff so anyway they called me on my landline and we had a discussion about about it and i don't even think it really was an interview it was more like would you work for this money and i said yes um, <laughs> oh we've all had those and i've been there ever since <laughs> oh that's um, brilliant that's brilliant so yeah i mean goldsmiths was really important it was yeah, yeah hugely important uh, sadly, we don't have time for your essay on Rethian theory. But um, <laughs> but what we uh, what we would like to find out is about some of the people then who kind of mentored you, who were important along the way. Who would you credit as helping you get where you are now? Yeah, so Tim Crook from Goldsmiths, who was the course convener. Um, he was in the early days of LBC um, when they first started out. He was um, passionate, enthusiastic, caring. Um, yeah, he was massive and i've been i've kept he's retired now but I've, I've kept in touch with him over the years been back to goldsmiths a couple of times to do talks to them so he's hugely influential in in just confidence and love of radio there's a guy called mike bovel who used to be head of life sport at talk sport who was really important to me because you know i was the only Maybe not the only, but I was I was like one of the very few female um, members of staff and he trusted me with my first like outside broadcasts, sent me to Australia to, to cover the Lions tour. And, and without those opportunities, I wouldn't have got to where I got to. So Mike Bovel definitely um, up there. And then more recently, Lee Clayton, who's actually just left. So he was uh, head of talk sport until the beginning of January. I very uh, bolshily went into him one day and said, I think you should make me head of life sport. And this is why. 
and uh, he listened to me. <laughs> he, he didn't march you from the room. <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, yeah, Lee for for always hearing what I had to say. So yeah, he was pretty fundamental. Uh, but uh, you know, th- that's just three people. But like working with Liam Fisher now, we've known each other for a very long time. He was the person who rang me to offer me the job. 16 years ago and it's been really great to work with him way more closely in a partnership and i'm we're kind of i would say we're yin and yang in terms of our uh, our styles and that's really working so you can learn from everybody like everyone has a different perspective as long as you're open to that you'll learn something from everybody you know commentator or reporter or production member or presenter whoever it is you can get you can always be learning from people um so yeah i've named a few but there's there's many 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 people that i've picked stuff up from um you mentioned about being one of the few or the only women in the team when you started were you very aware of that or were you made aware or conscious of that fact and is it less like that now yes um yeah i think there was maybe four of us on uh at Talksport when I first started in 2007 and it and it felt very laddie I think the the comparison I always make is like Zoo or Nuts magazine right um uh, that's changed yeah I would I, I I've definitely had to battle a few times to be taken seriously and it and it's it's what you might call like microaggressions and you still get them a little bit now so you know if I'm meeting someone new who's male who don't doesn't know who I am and I say oh I'm I work for Talksport they go oh cool what's your job and you go I'm deputy head they go really right and it's the it's the it's the there's the tone it's the intonation it's not necessarily like it's a perfectly fine question yes really I am believe it or not you know so there's been lots of that I think we are in a better place like a, a, a much better place in 2007 now in 2023 like we have you know, many women on the leadership team at TalkSport. We have many women um, starting out in production. The bit where I think we could do better is we don't have a female producer currently on the main shows. I think that's a miss and something I care about changing because there isn't a me coming through as I see it yet. So that's definitely something we could do better on. On air, I think we're doing okay. I think in live sport, we could do better, but we're working on that there's some people in the pipeline so i'm i'm confident that we'll have like our first female commentator soon i think we're behind on that as well but uh, it's it's on it's on my mind great okay that's good thank you um i really want to find out about live sports production but first to sort of ease our way in we ask mm-hmm. every guest what does a producer actually do like what are the core characteristics or responsibilities of a radio producer so uh, when I saw this on your email, I did have a like proper think about it because on the surface of it, it's like they sit in a chair and they talk back to the presenter and they say break or they say go to this or like it's, it's you know, but it's way more than that. Um, I think the analogy of a conductor of an orchestra is probably the most useful one. Um, you know, you want the strings to come in at the right time. You don't want the timpani to be banging throughout the whole thing. You know, it's um, so craft 
is probably the first thing that I kind of had in mind. And that is like, you know, how do you take the story away from just its face value and, and make it into something engaging for the audience? And how do you do it differently to the show that's just done it before you? So, you know, Antonio Conte has been an ongoing story about whether or not he's going to be manager of Spurs that he's going to get the sack this week. But you can't just talk about that straight up for eight hours a day because people won't stay listening. So, it's the producer's job to find new ways to to do that. You know, do you do um, something creative with it? Do you put in a bed? Do you create a quiz? Do you do, you know, there's lots of things you could do. So craft and editorial is hugely important, but then it's attention to detail. So are you breaking on time? Are you getting the commercial stuff you need to go away? Do you, is everyone in the control room doing their bit? Are you across the output in case someone says something that's, they shouldn't? Um, so it's attention to detail. It's it's empathy and leadership within that team as well, because you've got a whole load of contrasting characters that you need to deal with. You know, every presenter is different. So if you're a good producer, you'd be able to have empathy and 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 get to the 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 kind of bottom of that presenter pretty quickly and know how they want to figure out how they what they need from you to get on air. So like some presenters might need to be really riled up before they go on air. So how do you get them riled up before they go in there? Well, some presenters might need like three copies of everything to make them feel calm and not anxious that they're going to lose a piece of paper or whatever. So it's taking time to know the people you're working with in order to get the best out of them on air. And that's the same with their team. So assistant producers or, um, you know, call screeners or whatever you are having to think about their development and empowerment as well. So it's a really complicated and nuanced role. And so, yeah, it's also getting people to break on time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, balancing all those interests is a really tough job. And so when, when you get a good producer, they're kind of gold, to be honest, because it's, it's definitely a balancing act. Yeah. And then I've just written ideas in capitals. <laughs> <laughs> Creativity as well obviously yeah. hugely Endless. important yeah. yeah um yeah. great thank you and so when it comes to live sports in particular so you've mentioned passion mm-hmm. what other because I, I mark and i know so little about the i i mean i i find it terrifying the idea of producing a live sports commentary just everything that could go wrong and like running to time what are the main logistical responsibilities and skills required for a live sport producer so there's a lot more operations and logistics involved in live sport because, or not just live sport, anything outside of the studio. So it doesn't have to be a football gap match. It could be a show OB from somewhere. We need to know how you're getting there, who's going, what time you need to get there. You need to build in um, latency into that because, you know, there's train strikes or car crashes or whatever. Like you need to have a backup plan. Um, you need to know the kit. You know, it's a luxury sometimes we have at engineers, big, really big matches. But, you know, realistically, we're not going to be sending an engineer to a League Two match that we're doing on Talk Sports. So a producer needs to know how to get on air, how to work kit. They need to know each ground, have a relationship with the press officer at each football club or rugby club in order to get in, get accredited, you know, plug in, make sure that's all working. Um, and... Yeah, you need to be adaptable and agile in live sporting situations because you never know where the story is going to come from. It also might, for example, we had the FA Cup at the weekend. That might go to extra time. So that impacts the schedule. 
So you need to be able to have like plans of, you know, if this goes to extra time, what are we going to do? Are we going to move that game onto TalkSport 2 and kick off with this game? But, you know, have that agreed beforehand so that you're not, uh, there's no surprises on the night. And, yeah, that's just for domestic matches as, as we go along. But for something like the World Cup, I mean, that takes 18 months of planning. And that involves so many different stakeholders, you know, engineering departments, social media, commercial, all of the on-air, lots of producers. Like there's FIFA or UEFA or whoever you're working with. That's massive. That's a lot of logistics and operations and health and safety and all of that kind of stuff. And then also then you start thinking about editorial, how it's going to sound. Um, So, yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Reproducer. How during a live match, how much communication does the producer have with the commentators and the pundits? Is it do you just sort of let them let them go, or are you? So you have quite... talk back. You'll be able to say stuff in their ear, and you'll also be talking back to uh, production at base. So there's sort of like a three-way triangle, but they can't talk back to you. Um, okay. So it might be a bit of scribble on a paper, a bit of paper, old school. <laughs> <laughs> and are there any kind of memories that stand out for you from from your time producing live OBs and like, you know, being on the ground, as it were, abroad or at a, at a particular match? So my absolute favourite, I'm a rugby fan, um, first and foremost, is what I grew up with. I, I, I support Brentford as a football team, but I'm a Harlequins season ticket holder. So rugby is my is my jam. And so the the moment for me where it was like just a pinch yourself, like I can't believe I'm here, was the 2013 third test in the Lions where we, where we beat Australia in Sydney. And it's just euphoric. Like, yeah, that that was that was the like... And it's 10 years ago. Oh, my God. Um, but that was probably my first real buzz. And just being like, uh, people pay tens of thousands of pounds to be in this situation. And I'm getting paid to be here. And that was that was pr- pretty cool. I love empty stadiums, <laughs> which is the bit I love. I love. So they call it match day minus one. So I love being able to get in where before, like, anybody else and you can see all the camera crews from the tv laying out all their cables and getting ready and all the platforms getting put up and we're testing the line and um you know you can just look out at this huge empty stadium and like i kind of have this thing about 
energy from like glory's past like still being in the you can like almost hear the ghost crowd so i love that bit i love i love going in the day before and just knowing what's to come on any big event um and uh, yeah i've got my favorite stadiums that i've been to the so the luzhniki in moscow for the 2018 world cup was just an incredible stadium the cake tin in wellington for the lions tour uh 2017 like a couple of my standout kind of stadiums i think that i was just like wow this place is cool um (laughs) yeah stadium geek (laughs) amazing no thank you that's brilliant and just one more for me before i pass back over to mark um we will come on to kind of i'm really interested to learn about the internships that talksport has and like um the kind of next generation of producers but for now when it comes to aspiring producers listening, aspiring sport, live sports producers, what would really leap out to you on a CV? Like what would really make an application stand above the others? Well, two things really. If it's someone that's just starting out, uh, would be a love of sport and a love of radio. That's if you want to go into radio. I mean, there's other avenues to get into talk sport now. Obviously, there's social media and there's .com and there's lots of other ways that you can get in. But if it's radio specifically that you want to do, you know, I would look for, you know, are you, have you got your own podcast or have you been doing hospital radio or like what experience have you done, have you got um, and what do you listen to? Right? Like I want to know what stations do you like, you know, what podcasts do you listen to? Um, so a lot of people don't put that on their CV and they're kind of like general interest bit. Like I want to hear my favourite podcast is X. And if it's a sport one, I definitely want to hear that that's your favourite podcast. And I want to know why it's your favourite podcast. So And then the sport. So, you know, you don't have to have played sport, but, you know, why do you like sport and what and how do you engage with it? So, you know, if I was writing my own CV, I would say that I'm a season ticket holder at Harlequins because that gives me the information that I'm engaged. I, I follow it. And that's about it, really. If you're just starting out, I don't think you need to be the finished finished product to come here. You know, as long as you've got those found those fundamentals, um, we'd be interested to have a chat. But I, I do think you would struggle if you didn't have both of those to really engage with working here. So I think, yeah, love of radio, love of sport, and make sure that you're spelling that out on the CV. And it doesn't hurt if you've got some sort of qualification, like, obviously. But if you don't, you can still grab our attention. We're going to look for your advice now, Catherine. We need some advice from you on a couple of things. Uh, okay. First of all, you've mentioned how uh, you've, you you work well, you, and you must thinking about the the people you work with, the sport. You must work with some very interesting characters, both um, on and off the air. What are your top talent management tips? Oh, I just learned this last week, so I think I'm, I'm going to use this as an um, as a tool. Uh-huh. So there's the the adult child parent oh, yeah. idea, right? Yeah. Um. So always try and be an adult is my advice for managing talent because it's really easy to get drawn into being a parent or a child depending on who you're working with because talent, they're all different. There's not one the same. So if it's you're trying to get someone to do a bit of sponsorship stuff that they don't want to do, you know, explain why. And if they want to get upset about it, just stay calm. And uh, because it's really hard for someone to maintain high energy if you're calm. So just maintain your adult if you can. 
it's the one bit of advice I would say for time management. That is very good. Actually, yeah, it's called transactional analysis. I think, that's it. it. That's it. I learned it last week. <laughs> but that's innately what I what I would have done. So, but it's just given me a framework. Transactional analysis. Yeah. And so, uh, coming back to uh, what Jenny started to talk about with your internships and things, how do we nurture new talent in production? And specifically, how do you at TalkSport nurture new talent for production? So we kind of bring people in in a few different ways. Um, so we did our. So I led on our inaugural apprenticeship, which we started before the lockdown, but it didn't actually get up and running until end of 2020 for obvious reasons. We'd never done that before. So that was quite um, a new thing for us. I learned a lot about apprenticeships and the apprenticeship levy and um, things that I wasn't, I had no idea about before. And what I really enjoy, so we're on to our second cohort now and the first co- cohort, uh, two of them have gone on to have full-time positions with us. So they're still here um, APing which is amazing. Uh, Dan Dan actually won Apprentice of the Year at the NCTJ Awards a couple of weeks ago. So I was like super proud. So we're in our second cohort. And I think for them, what's so brilliant about it is being able to, so they're in college once a week with PA training. So they're getting all of that foundation stuff like I got from Goldsmiths. They're getting, you know, um, you know journalistic values through that. And then four days a week, they're with us learning on the ground. And I think the wonderful thing about that is having that community, being part of TalkSport, you know, there's a lot of people that have come up through the ranks and they're sort of surrounded by them the whole time. So it's quite a supportive atmosphere. So that's really good. We've also had Kickstart internships. So that is through the government, through their six-month placements. And we did that during the Euros, we did a pledge with women in football called Get Onside. So we took on two women through through that as internships, and one of them has stayed on as well um, full-time. So the, the, the really good thing about the apprenticeships and the internships is that you get people in that might not have come to us in the first place, or might not have thought that they could. And that's amazing. And we need to keep, and that, but you need to keep working on it, and you need to keep those channels open, because I think it's really easy to just take the seat first CV that comes to you. Um, in your inbox of someone who's found you on LinkedIn or whatever. Um, But actually going out and making sure from a diversity and equity and inclusivity point of view, making sure that we're giving people the opportunity to apply. So, for example, for the first apprenticeship, we went through, uh, tried to reach people specifically through channels. So like um, through BCOM, through Women in Football, also through an organization called League Football Education, which um, helps people that have come through the academy system and not made it. So something like 90, 98%. I'm going to misquote the numbers, so I won't try. But a lot of people don't make it in football. And so it's supporting those people to find other careers in sport. So that's what League Football Education do. So like through them, it actually backfired a little bit because we've got 2,000 ap- applications, which is like unmanaged, completely unmanageable. Right. Um, <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> um, so we didn't do that exactly this time, but, it, but it's having that thought process of how do we get applications from people that wouldn't necessarily think they could apply to talk sport. Um, so we've given that a lot of thought. And then the other way that people come through is is through work experience or through sending their CVs. There's a, a woman who works on our leadership team called Daisy who runs all of that. And generally they'll have a shadow day. And if they're any good, then we'll end up giving them a shift or two. It's a snowball effect. I'm, I'm sure it's very similar in lots of other places. You know, if you come in, you do a shift, you're good. You get two shifts the next week and then suddenly you're doing five shifts. And and, that, and that's that's how it rolls. Um, Great idea. 
but to support people i think we're i think we're a pretty supportive bunch actually i think there's a good leadership structure i think that if people have got a problem they feel you know empowered to come and say something um and we you know that's something that we've done on purpose you know we've thought about it one question we like to ask everyone is about the future of radio like where where do you see it going um or evolving in the next say five ten years do you think it will evolve and change much yes and no so i think media is evolving and has evolved loads over the last 10 years particularly since the advent of smartphones basically or smart speakers but smartphones particularly when you've got entertainment in your pocket you know you then have a choice about what you want to listen to um or what you want to watch so you know we've podcasts are coming into their own visualization of radio stations i mean we do it here we live stream so many of our shows so people can watch as well as as well as listen you know it's led on to as news broadcasting is how talk tv was born really from the visualization of talk radio and so there's all of that the proliferation of the media landscape and i don't think that's going to end you know i think that's just going to evolve as we go so radio has to keep up with that which i think we are um there's a question around, you know, how do you bring in, you know, the apprentices, for example, that we interviewed, they'd all engage with TalkSport as in a first instance through social media. So how do you translate those viewers, social media viewers, into radio listeners? That's the great unanswered question. I'm sure we'll get there eventually. But I also don't think that radio is going anywhere. I mean, it's 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 companionship. You know, if I'm in my house doing some cleaning, I will put the radio on rather than have to constantly select um, different podcasts or, you know, it's, it, it's, it's been around for this long for a reason. And I'm, I would love to be able to travel back in time and have the same conversation when TV first came around, like in homes and what people said about radio then and will radio survive? And, and it has. So like, I've absolutely no doubt the radio will always be here and always be um, something that people want. It's just we also do need to keep up. So that that has changed, is changing. And, you know, as long as we keep engaging with that change, we'll we'll survive. Radio will always be around. You mentioned listening at home. What do you listen to? Like, are you ever able to switch off TalkSport and just listen for the sake of enjoyment and as a listener? And if so, what do you listen to? Oh, OK. So they're, they're two different things. I definitely <laughs> listen to other things as part of my job. Um, so I'll definitely listen to Five Live or LBC or, you know, other speech radio stations to see what they're doing, um, which I think is important. For pleasure, I usually, like, I listen to Radio 4 quite a lot. The 6.30 comedy on, uh, on 6.30 p.m. I'm, I'm usually quite keen on. I, re- I listen to uh, The Chillest Show on Radio 1 sometimes. <laughs> If I'm this is going to paint such a sad uh, picture of me if I'm doing like the cryptic crossword or something of an evening um, to to try and switch my brain off. I might listen to the chillest show on Radio 1. Quite enjoy that. Um, But yeah, I do listen to I listen to podcasts as well. I listen to a lot of BBC Sounds. Um, Tortoise Media do a lot of good stuff. What have I been listening to recently? History of Ancient Egypt podcast. Because I went to Egypt on holiday and I got right. a bug for it. <laughs> so yeah, I listen. I listen quite broadly on podcasts. And um, there's a Zoe, you know, the Zoe um, health study that yeah. kind of like. So Zoe did a lot during the pandemic about um, people would um, 
voluntarily give their kind of information around COVID and they managed to do these like meta studies on trends, etc. So they they have a health podcast that um that they go into lots of different areas and like it's it's a little bit of debunking, but it's also just reporting um on inf- yeah, latest research and stuff. So yeah, I quite like that podcast too. Amazing. Thank you. Well over to Mark for the final questions. And I hope that one of them you haven't already I hope you can come up with another uh, yes. Okay. Anyway, over to you, Mark. <laughs> well, no, I, 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 I'm hopeful as well. I, while while we've been talking, I had a, I've had a revelation as well. I remembered that I I was an accidental football commentator for one game. Amazing. <laughs> when I was, I know because Je- Jenny knows me, so she know how ridiculous how this concept yeah. is. Well, I, I was a breakfast show host at Northampton 96, uh, which was a regional radio station, and Northampton Town got to the Wembley for the Division Three playoffs in 1997. And I remember that they didn't have anyone else who could go and do this thing. And so I went to Wembley, and it was, and it was you talking about the empty stadium thing when they were setting the stadium up. And it just suddenly came back to me. I was, I was at Wembley, and I did match commentary. And they won, which <laughs> Have was you got brilliant. a recording of this, Mark? I'm sure there's a recording somewhere. But Amazing. I do know that I was appalling. It was <laughs> it was Because all, all I was doing was going, I know it's rubbish, because I, I was just going, oh, look, he's... he's I don't know which, which one he is. Anyway... I, from that, that's that's going to be one of my OMG moments. Was being at Wembley for a for a thing where the team actually played. So I've just had that revelation. So now we're going to talk about your OMG moment. So any others in the catalogue? So in 2012, we won. Me and my colleague John Norman, who's also a bit of a legend, actually. I probably should have mentioned him in my uh, mentor section. We were both working on the Andy Gray and Rich Keys show, and we won best sports show at the areas 2012 which Brilliant. was and uh just going on stage to collect that award was just like and it was when it was at the grosvenor park hotel so it's this huge yeah. room and we're like wow that's cool that that was that was that was a bit of an omg moment um getting this job yeah you know it's the, it that's uh when scott taunton rang me that was pretty cool I just really appreciated his uh, his sort of trust in me and uh, and the fact that you know what I what I have been doing has been appreciated thus far. So that that was pretty that was pretty cool. You know, I rang my mum, for example. You know, it was just like this is a, this is a call your mum moment. And did your mum um, say what do you actually do, dear? Because... Yeah, what do you do? I just go in meetings all day. <laughs> yeah, there's probably there's probably better ones. But those are the ones that I can remember right now. I have high hopes for this next question, bearing in mind that you've done so much live broadcasting and so many OBs. Uh, FFS moment. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, the worst one I had was, it's, well, the one that immediately springs to mind, we were doing the 2018 England tour of Sri Lanka and the cricket. Right. And we're in Dam- Dambulla, which is right in the center of the country and it's monsoon season and we got put in the wrong box there was a big fight with sony who were the host tv broadcaster right because they wanted the box we Ah. wanted the box Ah. and there was like five minutes to go on air Uh and uh, that was hairy that was that was really hairy had to be quite stroppy um and um yeah that that was bad, and then anyway, we got on air. It was fine within, you know, a hair's breadth. 
but then it it rained the monsoon opened we'd only got 16 overs in and then the the guys on air had to like just talk amongst themselves for like three hours (laughs) there's no cricket you're like first day it was the first day as well of of the tour so yeah that was that was like that was a day that was a day (laughs) a day that can be forgotten probably (laughs) But no, no, it was good for them. I mean, they were amazing getting through talking on air that long without actual any actual play. I no, mean, I, 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 I hats imagine. off to them for doing that. But uh, yeah, that was uh, I was glad that day was over. My father was a huge cricket fan and a cricket player, actually, uh, you know, amateur. But he would listen to the cricket all the time, and I was always always marvelled at how uh, Jonathan Agnew, etc., can talk for such a long time when there is no play. It's an extraordinary talent. And on the first day of a test match, you've got a monsoon, there's no play, and they were managed to talk for three hours or whatever. I think that's a testament to the broadcasters as well as I mean, the producers. It actually sounds like a nightmare. I'm like filling silence for I three, hours. three hours. I feel, I just feel, I'm feeling anxious already. <laughs> but I love the fact that I learned something new about you with your sports commentator oh. history. I mean, please try and dig that out. I would, I would genuinely love to hear. No offence, what sort of a mess you, <laughs> you made of that match? It coverage. was a mess. It, it, <laughs> uh, the, 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 the moment I remember, Northampton won, North, right, playoffs at Wembley, Northampton Town, and they won, and they got into the second division on it, and they scored the goal, I think it was in the last five minutes, and we were so surprised that they scored a goal, all I, all I remember doing was shouting, they've scored, they've scored, <laughs> which, which of course isn't what you want. <laughs> I was utterly useless. If I find it, I promise we'll make a special podcast of it, I'm lying. <laughs> but anyway, thank you to Catherine Anastasi for taking the time to speak to us. I was, afterwards, as we said goodbye, her on the Zoom call, both Mark and I looked at each other and just said, wow, we bet she's such a great manager. I just love the way she spoke about team building and how keen she is to make actual change implementing diversity and inclusivity policies and how aware she is of what needs to change, what change needs to be made. I just think that's someone you want in a leadership team. Absolutely. And I really, I thought her talent management tips, the transactional analysis, as you said, um, you seemed to be completely aware of what she was saying about the adult parent child. Have you been in many training sessions about this? Yes, I did a whole load of thing on adult parent child. Transactional analysis, actually, if you want to look it up, it's really, it's really simple to understand, but it is really useful because those three places where you can be in adult mode, in child mode or in parent mode generally is where you'll find talent. And your job is always to pull it into adult. And if you can do that, then you can have a sensible conversation. You can't in any of the other modes. And it's, as I say, it's a brilliant piece of psychology to use in everyday radio talent management, I think. And it was great that she brought it up. Yeah, brilliant. And so as we mentioned at the start, this has been our first foray into sports broadcasting, but we cover loads of other radio genres in this series. So, for example, Catherine mentioned being a fan of the Radio 4 630 comedy. So you might want to have a listen if you're also a fan to Ed Morish, who told us all about radio comedy production if you'd like to find out more about producing live news output check out the episode with times radio's morning editor hussein husseini there's also sarah crawley producer of woman's hour on radio 4 and there's loads of music radio producers as well we've been really lucky to get some excellent guests so do check them out if you have the time and just follow or subscribe to hear about new episodes as we drop them thank you for listening reproducer 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.